You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. God wants to be our friend and wants us to be friends with him. So at least leave here with that understanding. If we're not his friends, it's not because he's reluctant. The problem isn't with his end. It's not as if God is inaccessible. The problem is with you. The problem is with me. The problem is with sin. You see, because sin separates us from God. When you have a close friend, you work at getting together with them and catching up. You share your hurts and your struggles, but you also celebrate the good things too. It takes effort and intentionality to help your friendship grow and thrive. So why wouldn't it be any different with your relationship to God? He wants to be your friend, but that means it takes effort for you to connect with Him. Pastor Mike wants you to know today that God wants a relationship with you, and it doesn't happen accidentally. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 18 as he begins his message, Abraham, friend of God. So we'll just pick up where we left off last time. We're in Genesis chapter 18. And the text that we're going to be treating is found in verses 1 through 8. The title is Abraham, the friend of God. Let's go ahead and read the scripture, and then we'll open up in a word of prayer. So Genesis chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord appeared to him, that is Abraham, by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the ground, and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. And so Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah, his wife, and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. And so he took butter and milk and the calf 
which he had prepared, and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Father, we pray now that you bless the remainder of our time together as we treat this text of Scripture. And uh, Lord, minister to each one in a very personal way. Lord, uh, I I pray that it would serve to just move us closer to you, to help us to become more friendly with you, to develop uh, a uh, similar relationship to that which uh, Abraham had, an Abraham experience with you. Lord, uh, just work that work and use this text to that end. And now, Lord, uh, help us to thoroughly enjoy the remainder of our time together. Help us feel very at ease and comfortable, Lord, as we just sit at your feet and learn of you. God, thank you. Bless now. Let my words be your words. For we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, moving through this particular section of the book of Genesis, focusing in on Abraham's life, and we've been talking about Abraham and and all of these wonderful lessons and studies for us. He's really been the focus uh, of uh, the series here in the book of Genesis. So focusing in on Abraham's life, we're struck, or at least I hope you've been struck, by the spectacular relationship that he had with God. That intimacy, that closeness. Truly, it could be said of Abraham, he was God's friend. In fact, the scriptures concerning Abraham, that's the way that he's commended to us. In that way, for example, in 2 Chronicles, King Jehoshaphat of Israel is facing an enemy that was larger and greater uh, than himself. He appeals unto uh, God. And in 2 Chronicles in chapter 20 and verse 7, he says, Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham? And notice the way that he's recommended to us here. Abraham, your friend forever. Let me give you another cross-reference. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 41, in verse 8, as here Israel is being assured of God's help. At that time, I believe it was Hezekiah that was uh, sitting upon the throne. But in Isaiah chapter 41, in verse 8, But you, O Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. And so once again, Abraham is recommended to us as the friend of God. Let me give you a New Testament example of this. In the book of James, in chapter 2, in verse 23, where James is dealing with that whole subject of the balance of uh, faith and works, and he uses Abraham as an example of that. He says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he, that is Abraham, was called the friend of God. And so there you have it. So that begs the question then, why is it that Abraham is designated as God's friend? Well, it has a lot to do with what is recorded for us here in this chapter 18 in the book of Genesis. And it's found in the way that he treated these visitors. And so that's the reason why we should be extremely interested uh, in this uh, recorded account. That is the way that Abraham greeted these visitors, this unusual group of three uh, visitors. Because 
And the reason why we should be intensely uh, concerned and interested about that text of scripture is because don't you want to be a friend of God, right? This was the way that God recommended Abraham. This wasn't him boasting about himself. This was simply the way that God saw him, that God perceived him, the way that God recommended him to us in the scriptures. Wouldn't it be wonderful to, uh, to know uh, that this is the way that God sees us? When you stand before God in that day, of course you would. So that's the reason why we're interested in this particular text of uh, Scripture. So why is it then that Abraham is designated as God's friend? Well, again, it's found in the way that he treated this unusual uh, company of visitors. Because we want to be God's friend too. Now, I want to give you a cross-reference. I want you to think about something here. And it kind of gives us... uh, some insight and a clue who these visitors might have been. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2, you're probably familiar with this text of Scripture, and I want you to think about something here. We read, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. We're given some caution and exhortation to this end, because you just never know. Right? God has his angels everywhere. And his angels, the Bible tells us, are ministering spirits to his people. So we could have encountered uh, spiritual creatures or angels before, you know, uh, that were working on our behalf, working behind the scenes, protecting us, providing. We, we just don't know. But anyway, I believe that this is exactly what's being depicted for us in Genesis chapter 18. This encounter that Abraham is having is with at least two angelic creatures. And the other one we'll get to in just a moment. And if one of those visitors happens to be Jesus, then this exhortation here in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2 is a huge understatement, right? Could you imagine that? And I think this account actually calls for that particular interpretation which also lends itself to the idea of Abraham's friendship with God. Because in this picture, in this account, in this record, Abraham is hanging out with Jesus. How cool is that, right? To be able to hang out with Jesus. But if you think about it, the truth be told, aren't we hanging out with him as well? The Bible tells us where two or more are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst of them. So Jesus is here in this place, right? So wake up. The two of the three of these visitors who went on to, and we will discover this later on here in our series in the book of Genesis, that went to Sodom and Gomorrah to rescue Abraham's nephew, Lot, were literally angels, and that the other one was none other than Jesus himself. That is a theophanies, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Now, folks, listen to me. This is not a stretch of the imagination at all. I mean, we are alerted to God's presence at the very beginning of our text in verse 1. Notice what it says. It says, then the Lord appeared to him. The Lord, do you see that there? And the Lord appeared unto him. Notice the capital letters also that's being used uh, there. And then also notice in verse 10, of our text of Scripture, one of the visitors, who I believe was Jesus, is speaking as would God uh, would have spoken 
uh, to Abraham. Notice what he says. And he said, I will certainly return to you, verse 10, according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now, who could have made that claim uh, with the exception of God? And then notice, jump ahead to verse 13, which is not a part of our text. We read, then the Lord said, jump ahead to verse 17 of chapter 18. And there we are told, then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? And this was in reference to uh, God actually uh, pouring out his wrath and his judgment upon the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, because of their sin. So all of these references and cross-references that I just shared with you, in fact, suggest that Jesus was present and was part of this company of these three visitors. Would you agree? It's not a stretch of the imagination. I could be wrong. Uh, It is possible. I have been wrong in the past, but more than likely it is plausible. Now, considering this, we may marvel at this fact. But nevertheless, God considers this situation quite normal. In one of my favorite writers, a fellow whose name is F.B. Meyer, in his commentary on the book of Genesis said, and I quote, we may well ask with deepest reverence and awe the question of Solomon. When he felt the utter inadequacy of his splendid temple as the abode of the eternal God, And he expressed this by saying, Will God in very deed dwell upon the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. How much less this house that I have built. But this question has been forever settled by God himself in the majestic words, Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and the holy place. With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. So the idea is is that this magnificent temple that Solomon built could not contain the glory of God. But nevertheless, God dwells with you and me, with ordinary people exactly like you and me. And that's the idea here. That's that's the the premise. That's the, uh, the issue that's being addressed here. He goes on to declare... And the life of our blessed master is a delightful commentary on these mighty affirmations. He said to, for example, the publican Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide in your house. Then he went to the home of Peter. It's recorded for us in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 8. Remember when uh, Peter's mother-in-law had become sick, and Jesus enters into the house of Peter in Matthew chapter 8, and she's healed, and then immediately she jumps up and starts waiting on the Savior. And so he went to the home of Peter and was ministered to by one of the household, the mother-in-law, whom he had raised from the gates of death. And then after his resurrection, he entered the humble lodgings of two disciples. Remember the two who, uh, who were on the road to Emmaus after the crucifixion of our Lord. Remember Jesus catches up with them and disguises himself. And then he begins to open up the scriptures to him, how that Jesus, how that the Savior must die. And he, he uh, illuminates and opens up their understanding of the, of the scriptures. And so as it relates to those uh, two individuals, uh, he entered the humble lodging of the two disciples in whose company he had walked from Jerusalem seeking to dry their tears as they went. 
nor is that all. There is no heart so lowly, but that he will enter. There is no home so humble, but that he will make himself a welcome inmate. There is no table so poorly provided, but that he will sit there eat, turning water into wine, multiplying the loaves and fishes, and converting the simple meal into a sacrament. When seated at meat with those he loves, he still takes bread and blesses it and breaks it and gives to them. To each and all he says, as he stands laden with raiment, isev, gold, and dishes of food and delicacies for the evening meal, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. You know that's a quotation from Revelation chapter 3 in verse uh, 20. And so, listen, if we are to take anything away from our study, if we are to learn anything from this portion of Scripture, let it be this. Let us realize that God wants to be our friend and wants us to be friends with him. So at least leave here with that understanding. If we're not his friends, it's not because he's reluctant. The problem isn't with his end. It's not as if God is inaccessible. The problem is with you. The problem is with me. The problem is with sin. You see, because sin separates us from God. Okay, so then, how does one become friendly with God. And if you're taking notes, that sets up our study, but we're almost halfway through it already. But that sets up our uh, study, and it brings us to our first point. It's all about relationships. Isn't it true? Think about that. Uh, any kind of intimacy that we share with another person is all about a relationship, right? It's a commitment that we made to develop a relationship. So that's our first point. It's all about relationships. Now, I want to give you a cross-reference for this. In the book of Proverbs, and tell me if this isn't true, and I want you to think of the person with the most friends. Every one of us knows someone, specifically, that has a lot of friends. Now, why is that? There's a reason for that. And here in this verse of Scripture, we're given the secret, which is really no secret at all, why that person has so many friends. In the book of Proverbs, in chapter 18, in verse 24, a man who has friends must show himself friendly. There it is right there. It's something that has to be worked at. You know, the person who has the largest number of friends has shown himself friendly. He's out there making friends. He's out there giving. He's out there making an investment in other people's lives. And there are lessons here within this text of Scripture to be learned through Abraham's conduct that is going back now to our text. Let's take a closer look at the way that he treated these visitors. He treated them with the full measure of Eastern hospitality, which is quite different than the way that we greet people today. There was a, a man that's like, a protocol to it, if I can use that word. So almost like pomp and circumstance. Notice here, according to our text that we read, verses 1 through 8, he hurried, he offered refreshment, he baked bread, he killed the calf, he prepared a meal. What's the point that I'm trying to get at? 
He worked at it. You have to work at relationships. If you want to become friendly with someone, folks, you have to work at the relationship. If you want any kind of a relationship to be meaningful, you have to work at it. It's not just going to happen. You know, you guys who just got married, right? The honeymoon's over. You got to work at it. This is only the beginning. The truth of the matter is the best is yet to come. It is. It's true. I, I, I got to tell you something. I love my wife more now than when I first met her and fell in love with her, honestly. Before I was like infatuated with her and taken by her and her beauty. But you got to work at it. It just doesn't happen. Good marriage relationships just doesn't happen, but any relationship just doesn't happen. It's a commitment. It takes two people working at it. Now, with that said, I don't know if at first Abraham knew who he was entertaining but obviously, it became more uh, obvious to him as the meeting progressed. But he's behaving, notice here, according to our text, in a hospitable way. And there's this sense of being so privileged to serve God without really knowing it. He's not quite sure. Because, I mean, Jesus really didn't say, hi, I'm Jesus. And the angels didn't identify him. I mean, it could have been Michael the archangel. It could have been Gabriel. It could have been any of the other orders of angels. We don't know, right? But they didn't identify themselves by name. But believe me, if you were hanging around with this, these three over a quick period of time, a shortened period of time, you would begin to realize these aren't ordinary visitors. You can be sure of that, right? But anyway, uh, he's behaving in a hospitable way. And there's this sense of his being so privileged to serve God without knowing it. Now, does that ring a bell? I want you to think about that. Think about the way that we serve God. How do we serve God? I mean, there's so many different ways that we serve God, but in a very practical kind of a way. Because take this into consideration. We, as believers today, don't serve a Lord who is upon the earth in a visible body, do we? No. But according to Matthew's gospel in chapter 25, when Jesus comes back the second time to establish his kingdom upon the earth, and the nations come before him for judgment. And in that day, in Matthew's gospel in chapter 25, in verses 35 through 40, uh, Jesus now is commending those and he's giving out the rewards for those who have been faithful. And he says, for I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? In my Father's house, there's a place for me in my father's house where I long to be. Oh, my You've been listening to Pastor Mike Fenizio here on In My Father's House. He is working his way through the book of Genesis. If you were blessed by today's message and want to pass along the blessing, you can find a link to give to the ministry on our website, HarvestNYC.org. 
We have so much available to you there, including many audio messages and links to streamed messages. We stream every Sunday and Thursday service. Once again, that's harvestnyc.org. Another way to pass along the blessing is to share the messages with someone else. Maybe God put someone on your heart today as you listened. You can send them the links as well. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan, New York City. We're easy to find, with access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. But if you're from another part of the country or world, we'd love to know. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. There is nothing more beautiful than the global body of Christ. If you'd like to hear more, subscribe to our podcast for daily doses of the word. Just go to Spotify and search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. And then just click follow. Well, we have filled our time for today. Come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than in my father's house with you.